Tech Talk with Matthew Dickerson. Matthew Dickerson. Sit back and relax. It's time to talk technology. Greetings, hope seekers. It's time to pack up your troubles in your old kit bag. Take a look out the window with the warm sun streaming through. Take a delightful sip from that glass half full. You've crash landed into just the right place with us here at another episode of Tech Talk with Matthew Dickerson. And as luck would have it, we've been joined by the man himself. Welcome back for another week, Matthew. Thank you very much, James. And I've been busy today watching a bit of Formula One. I am a bit of a Formula One fan, which might surprise some people because they use petrol, but they're getting towards their net zero targets. Do you stay up late to watch it all live? Or oh, do you... you've got to watch it live. Yeah, yeah. My dad was funny with that. He used to say, well, if... I haven't seen it. It's still live to me, yeah, which yeah, makes right. sense. But I just can't help the temptation then of mm. looking up the results the next morning yeah. before I watch it. So Too many chances for spoiler alerts. Exactly and, yeah. right. So I've got to watch it live. But I, I like it for the technology. There's a lot of technology yeah. there and a lot of development. And obviously, there's so much about the car. And with Formula One, compared to, say, MotoGP, they say it's 80% car and 20% driver. MotoGP is probably the other way around, 80% the rider and 20% the actual motorbike. But a lot of technology, a lot of development with the car, wind tunnels, you can imagine how much work. Well, it's gotten to the stage where they've actually had to put limiters on the, the F1s. Is that right? A whole, a whole range of limitations they have on yeah. there because they are basically an upside-down plane. It's just yeah. a plane that's pushing the wind, is pushing it down into the ground rather yeah. than a plane that's trying to lift it up. But, yeah, a whole range of limitations, and the engines kept getting smaller over the years because they are getting so much power out of the engines yeah. and they were larger and larger. But... The, and, and aerodynamics, the wind tunnels, I mean, that would be the number one thing that every team would have would be an extensive set of wind tunnel testing processes because you can just imagine a little change in something here when you're doing 350 kilometres an hour makes yeah. a big difference. But someone finally has actually said, let's do a bit of testing on the drivers. These guys have got, yes, the car's doing a lot, but they've still got incredible skills and I would say bravery. Now, I know there are people who do very brave things to help other people, but it's still pretty brave yeah. to be doing 350 kilometres an hour and wait till as late as possible before you foot in the brake. <laughs> and there's a, there's a, a cement wall coming in <laughs> yeah. front of you. But one of the things that was fascinating is that they found a whole range of things they were doing in their testing, but one thing I found fascinating was that the drivers, unbeknownst to each other, all blink at the same spot around the same track. Oh, that's obscure. It that's is. A, that's a weird thing. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> and, and when you start to think about it, so 350, 354 kilometres an hour roughly is about the top speed they'll go in any track. So let's say at 350 kilometres an hour, you're doing, uh, or your blink, the average blink is about a third of a second. You're travelling about 32 metres in a third of a second mm. when you're doing that speed. So yeah. you want to make sure when you blink and you open your eyes again, you're 32 metres further down the track. Now, on the straight, 350 <laughs> kilometres an hour, that's one thing. A lot of the corners, they're doing at 200 kilometres an hour. Yeah. At 200 kilometres an hour, you're travelling about 18 and a half metres in that time you blink. So you want to make sure when you blink, you're going to know what's ahead of you when you open your eyes again because you wouldn't drive around a track like that with your eyes closed, yeah, obviously. <laughs> I'm just thinking about where you're going with this. Well, What's it, the next step? Do we do we prize these guys' eyes open <laughs> and just have a little special thing that irrigates the eyes? <laughs> so the latest in Formula 1 technology is a toothpick. You stick it under the yeah, eye right. and keep your eyes open. Uh, I'm not actually going anywhere with it. I'm, I'm just fascinated by yeah. the fact that with all the testing that they do on the cars and all the development, they, they talk about these little 0.1%. Finally, someone said, look, look at the drivers. But it is an obscure thing. But again, it makes sense because you're not going to blink halfway through a corner. And yeah. I used to think when I was driving a car and, and young learning to drive a car, and sometimes I'd sneeze, and I actually used to think at the time, oh, 
I wonder what a race car driver would do if they want to sneeze, because A, you'd fill up the inside of your helmet with a bit of snot, that's ah. not a good thing, <laughs> but you still, you can't keep your eyes closed when you sneeze, and they're closed yeah. for longer than when you just blink. So you wouldn't want to be halfway through a corner and then go, ah, ah, ah. A chew, and then you're in the well, sidewalk. Maybe, maybe that's what happens when they have the... Uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe. See the pranks happen. <laughs> and it's too embarrassing oh. for them to say, oh, sorry, boss, I just sneezed, sneezed and, and ended up in... ran into the wall. <laughs> yeah. So it is quite fascinating, isn't it? So you just imagine when they're out there. Again, they're not thinking about when they blink, but they would take the opportunity, their mind, because they've got so many things to do, and they've got a, a steering wheel that's got so many different controls, and there is the little matter of actually steering the car and accelerating and braking as you go. And they do talk about the fact that it's almost robotic with the drivers now, but there's an example of it almost being robotic when they're all blinking at the same spot around yeah, the same track. amazing, yeah. amazing. All right, folks, time to put your F1 car into the pits and uh, get ready for this week's stories. Remember the sort of nonsense that you got up to as a 16 or 17-year-old? Did you ever sneak into a pub, maybe sidle confidently up to the bar with your most grown-up voice, place an order for something that gave you away immediately? Excuse me, sir. I would like a beer, please. The first drink I ever ordered was a Bacardi and rum, and I was out the door like a 17-year-old ragdoll that was still learning the value of doing your homework. Well, there's no good news for our adolescent delinquents out there today, folks. Life is about to get tougher than a fake ID and an overcooked backstory. That's for sure. Amazon is upping the game for age verification, and palm scanning as proof of age is about to become a thing. Matt? It looks like last drinks for kids who are trying to grow up too quick. Well, just go back to your story about trying to be a delinquent or, or maybe being a delinquent. I'm not sure if you're trying or successful. But the myth, which I never actually saw verified, the myth used to be that if you got a lend of someone else's ID to go up to the bar and look very grown up, was you had to make sure you knew the star sign because the barman yeah. or the bouncer, <laughs> no. when they looked at the ID... It was ID, all about the backstory, though. It was. So they look at the ID, <laughs> and of course it wasn't your date of birth. You didn't just magically get one that was your date of birth in a different year. Yeah. It was someone else's date of birth, and these are back when we had licences with no photos. Yeah. But of course, the month wouldn't be your birth month typically, and so then it would be, so what's your star sign, son? And that was always a thing you had to make sure you knew was your star <laughs> sign. But I never, ever saw an example of someone being asked for their star sign. No. So whether or not – and I was pretty impressed with these Sounds bouncers. like a pick-up line now. <laughs> yeah. It does. But I'd be, I was impressed with these bouncers that just knew every date – and how they related yeah, to every star right. so off the top of their head. <laughs> they had to be astrological geniuses. <laughs> yeah. Maybe what they did, though, was just by asking it. And when you went, ah, uh, yeah. that was enough. That was enough. Go, right, I've got yeah. you there. Which if you just said <laughs> Aquarius confidently, then it yeah. was okay. They got no idea if it was right or not, but it was fine. <laughs> so it's interesting. Amazon is getting to the point now where it's so yesterday using your watch to make purchases. When you go and use the Amazon purchasing system, you use your palm. And I think it's a bit like Obi-Wan Kenobi. You wave your palm in front of one of their devices. I will pay for this. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but they're, I reckon it's going to look great. <laughs> We're going to have a lot of fun with it when it first starts. They're finding the palm is more accurate than, say, a fingerprint because you've got a larger surface area. Yeah. Answered every question in biology, is of course, is surface area. Yeah. So your thumbs, your fingers can get a bit of dirt and grime or you might have been doing a bit of painting work or some glue on there, whatever. So you start scanning your fingerprint and you can't pay for things. No, I really am who I say I am and sure thing, sir. On you go. Thanks very much. So the palm is more accurate. So that's great. Amazon have said, fantastic, pay for things. You have your palm linked to your credit card. So don't worry about taking out your watch. Your phone is yesterday, the watch is yesterday. Mm. You take your palm with you, which most people tend to carry with them. You wave that and you pay for things. 
one of the things that's a bit of a problem, and apparently at Major League Baseball, you've only got limited time to get your drinks from the bar before either in between innings or the seventh innings break, for example. So they want the, the line to go through as quickly as possible. You go and order the bar, sure, you can pay for it with your palm, but sir, show me your age or show me some yeah. identification. So you get your phone out to show... And in the States, it's a bit harder. You've got to be 21. 21, that's right, yeah. So now Amazon have got to the point where you've got to upload the details to prove that you really are 21. So you then have to put some ID online in the cloud. Some people don't feel comfortable with that, mm. but let's assume you're okay with that. It's then at the point that you can actually walk up and they've got one field, the cause field in Colorado is the first one to do it at this stage. And they've got this technology there where you walk up to the bar and you can, in the one scan, you can say, I'm 21 and I'll pay for that beer as well. So it's all done in the one go. Yeah, right. You've got to be comfortable having all that information, all that data loaded up. In yeah, the so if someone. you're a conspiracy theorist, then you probably just want to get someone else to get your drinks then. Yeah, that's right. And, and hope you, that they don't might. spike your drinks with it. <laughs> that's right. Truth might, serum. You might take cash along and then they'll probably all laugh at you because people, surely it won't be long <laughs> before we won't take cash anymore. So it is interesting, but... It's, I, I love the idea that we can carry less and less with us. I find myself leaving the house from time to time without my phone anymore. I would never have left the, the house without my phone because mm. I can do the things that I want to do with my watch now. But how long before we can just use the palm? Well, it's probably harder to answer an email off the palm of your hand. But, <laughs> but some things we can do anyway. It's so. only a matter of time. It's <laughs> yeah, only a matter of time. It's getting there. Have you ever heard of Neva? No? Well, neither had I until a moment or two ago. Perhaps a good case of a flawed business model here. Neva was a search engine with a difference. For one, it did the same job as Google, but without ads. And secondly, it did the same job as Google, but you had to pay for it. Anyway, all this is past tense because the days of Neva are over and the lessons learned are burned indelibly into the fibres of the internet. Matt, tell us all about this David versus Goliath story where the little guy actually got the result you'd expect. It's interesting that people get used to doing something without paying and trying to change that is difficult. Mm. And I, I, as a kid, I was growing up and I remember I used to watch the Rugby League Match of the Day, good old Rex Mossop used to be there. Yeah. I can still hear the theme music in my head too. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'd say there'd be some important part, mainly was about to score another try, of course, and they'd go to ads and I'd say, oh, Dad, oh, just these ads are so frustrating. He said, son, those ads are how this show gets paid for. That's how Rex Mossop gets paid. I'm yeah. an ad for perfume and Rex Mossop gets paid by that. I don't understand. <laughs> you know, I was probably three years of age at the time, but finally got to the stage where I understood advertising and how television stations made their money. And pay TV then came along. I went, fantastic. No more ads. But of course, it didn't seem to work like that. Yeah. You paid for pay TV and still had ads. No such thing as a free lunch. Oh, no, exactly right. And... There's so many ads shown on free-to-air, so 13 minutes an hour with free-to-air TV, and that's on average. There's a whole range of other different rules around that, prime time, etc. So there's a lot of ads there, but we're happy to keep doing that and watching those ads because we don't really want to pay for some of these. Even Netflix, their first model was all about paying for no ads, but of course, we've talked about it before. They've now got a paid subscription model where it's a bit cheaper. Mm. When it comes to search engines, well, Google commands the search engine space, 93.4% market share. And what's interesting is that they generated $224.5 billion from advertising revenue last year. That's a significant sum. That's significant, yeah. 79% of their total income came from advertising. But there was an ex-Google ad executive and another associate of his, and they said, 
people complain about ads all the time. We talk about it. We talk about whether it's listening to you, what ads might pop mm. up, all sorts of things. They're just continually popping up. The When I'm doing research for this show, the next week I'll get all these things popping up that relate to the stuff. Oh, no. Where was that <laughs> the last algorithm. week? Yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So, but this is, I think we're conditioned as young people, like well, from the 80s, you watch telly, it had ads in it. You just got used to it. You complain about the ads, but then you just watch it anyway. And that was the mistake that these two made. They thought that everyone complaining about ads meant that they were prepared to pay yes, for no ads. That it needed to change. That's right. So they did a pretty good job. They raised $77.5 million, US $77.5 million. Yeah. So people had a bit of faith in them. They launched Neva in October last year. So mm. it hasn't been around for long. Mm. And thought, this is fantastic. For just US $4.95 per month, not a lot, maybe a cup of coffee, maybe a yep. little bit more than a cup of coffee. You could enjoy all the advantages of Google. Let's face it, this guy was a Google executive, so he might have had some idea of how it all worked. You can have all the advantages of that, and you're not worried about it listening in on you. You're not worried about pop-up ads. You can just sit there and do your searching. And it lasted from October last year till June this year. Yeah, that was it. Nine Shut the doors. Or so, yeah. <laughs> That's right. Shut the doors. Goodness because me. guess what? People didn't want didn't to pay want to for pay. it. <laughs> yeah. Just give me the ads so I can complain. <laughs> That's right. Let me just. I've got something to whinge about then. But it is quite interesting because I thought that when I actually heard about this initially, I went, "Oh, I wonder how that'll go." I'd probably be prepared to pay for ads, but I'm not sure for no ads. Sorry, I'm not sure how many people would be prepared to do that. It turns out not many. So, mm. Mm. so it's, it's again, what happens in technology sometimes, people think they've got a great idea. They may not sense check it. Not sure how much sense checking was done here. But the sensitivity testing is always an interesting one. You want this service, yes. Do you want to pay for it? No. Or how much do you want to pay for it? That sort of sensitivity testing is interesting. Well, yeah, if you haven't nevered how many people have played uh, Batman yet uh, in the movies um, and you haven't nevered anything, then you've uh, run out of time. You've run out of time. That's basically it. Over and done. You have done to go back to Googling stuff. That's right. <laughs> Smartphones, smart watches, smart kitchen appliances, smart cars. Where does the line get drawn? Well, not with wind turbines, that's for sure. It's a logical progression, really. For the naysayers who were sure that the wind turbines were going to be a dying fad, AI has just given things a nudge in a positive direction to boost efficiency and bring a couple of million extra megawatt hours into the grid. Matt, this is going to come for a, as a breath of fresh air, I should say, to countries uh, like the UK who went gangbusters for wind power. Wind power is, I think, a, a really effective method. Mm. And it's a bit harder when people say, what about renewables when the sun doesn't shine, when it applies to wind turbines? And, of course, they say the wind doesn't blow, but where they put wind turbines, guess what? Yeah, they try to pick the windy spots. <laughs> That's right. They? They've done some testing and they've found places that have got wind a lot of the time. And, and, and look, relatively, they're very quick to set up, aren't they? They are actually quite quick to set up. Uh, the offshore stuff seems to be where there'll be a lot more growth and they take a bit longer because yeah. it's a bit harder to put them there. But again, wind, when's the last time you went to the beach and said, gee, it's a nice, quiet, still day with no waves and no wind. I mean, there's usually a bit of wind around when you go yeah. offshore. But if you can increase the efficiency of wind turbines, that sounds like a good thing. And in the design work they've been doing on them, and again, keep in mind they're only fairly new. I think 1980 was the first wind farm that was installed in the world. So they've only been around for a bit over 40 years. A lot of work to be done in efficiencies. And they're aiming, if you can just get a, an extra 0.1% efficiency out of wind turbines, and that is a big bonus, and wind turbine manufacturers and proponents are out there saying that's fantastic. Now, they've thrown the problem to AI. They said, what can we do to make these more efficient? 
And what they found was, think of the old windmill that has the blades on the front and then the tail at the back. And mm. as the wind blows, it turns the head of the windmill around so that the blades are going straight into the wind. Wind farms do that in a little bit more technical way rather than just the blade sticking out the back to turn the head around but it's actually delayed a bit and so one of the things AI found that if you could just turn that head sooner and take advantage of the wind changes sooner they could add 0.3 percent to the efficiency and you go ah, big deal 0.3 percent if you did a software update on all the wind turbines across the nation that 0.3 sorry not across the nation across the globe that 0.3 percent would be equivalent of five terawatt hours of electricity per year. So it's not a big infrastructure rebuild we've got to do here. It's just a software update. Just a software update. And to give you an idea of what five terawatt hours would do, the Snowy Hydro scheme generates about four and a half terawatt hours a year. So you could produce more than the Snowy scheme by a software update. Yeah, okay. Now, the slight issue here is that a bit like cars, a bit like saying, do a software update to a car and that'll fix some problem, but you've got different manufacturers around the world and Mm. how they're connected. All those wind turbines, there's not just one manufacturer out there that just goes, apply, update, click, like in the movies, and then all the wind turbines are suddenly updated. So it'll be a bit of work to do it, but at 0.3%, it would be worth it. They actually found you can get even better than that if you got to the stage where you're predicting those wind changes, just slightly ahead of those wind changes, and effectively turning the head as it's changing, changing. as the wind's changing, even before you might even get up to 0.4%, which again sounds even better. But isn't it fascinating that we've got these things that have been going for some time, and we understand the concept. The wind's blowing, you put the turbine and the, the blades there, and they can change the angle of those blades, of course. So they've got all that down pat. But obviously, the angle of the wind is a pretty important part of it. Mm. You've got that flexibility to move it around, but just a slight change in the timing of that can change that efficiency quite dramatically. So it sounds quite fascinating. And the UK that's gone absolutely ballistic for wind power uh, has had all sorts of controversy about having a sort of energy shortage. And uh, for the naysayers, they've been going, yeah, see, we told you so. But this is going to turn things around in a big way. Well, it will turn things around, literally. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that was an intentional pun. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) But I actually think I was at a function the other night and I had a quick chat to one gentleman there who was a bit worried about renewables. And he said, well, of course... They're not reliable, are they? We're going to have blackouts all over the place. And I said, well, Liddell Power really? Station closed down recently and we seem to be in a function. I looked up at the ceiling and the lights seem to be on, so that seems to be okay at this stage. Oh, yes, but of course, it's just lucky at the moment. It must be the wind blowing or whatever. So, again, there's still yeah. some people out there that are a bit confused by it, but there is some work being done and there's work being done to make this better all over the place. And, again, it's not something that many people are thinking about, but someone obviously said, what about this? How about we just try that? And that's what people out there across the world do. They come up with Isn't that ideas. funny? When there's a problem, people try to come up with a solution. Absolutely. Sounds very interesting. This next story has the nostalgia gland in my brain exploding. Two of my favourite things from the 1980s are coming together in 2023 and my eyes are rolling around in my head and I'm about to start talking in tongues. Folks, Matt, Lego have released an enormous new set and you can now build your own Pac-Man arcade cabinet. (laughs) Doesn't get much better than this, does it? I need to lie down. (laughs) Well, you need to get your energy up because 
it's 2,650 pieces to this Lego set. Yes, I know. Then after you build it, you've got to play Pac-Man. So it does yeah. sound fantastic. <laughs> I actually really admire what Lego have done, where they started off with the building blocks of Lego. And as they went on, they went, we actually realised that a lot of these kids that play with Legos are now getting older. Mm. Actually, I said Legos. They're not Legos. They're, no, they're Lego, not. That's what Lego you would say if you were American. That's right. Lego is the plural. My apologies. So a lot of these adults that grew up playing Lego are now going, well, I still like Lego, but I don't really want to go and buy that little kid's kit yeah. and play with it. So they started creating their architecture series, and yeah. I've actually bought some of those in the past. I think they're quite clever. Star Wars has been like phenomenal for yeah, them. Yeah, that's right. And very big, complicated sets. And they started with some of these arcade sets now. And the first couple I didn't get that excited about, but the Pac-Man one I thought was a really good <laughs> idea. So so they actually had one that was an Atari 2600 console, for example, but the Pac-Man one, because again, a lot of, well, certainly my kids didn't play much Pac-Man. I love when we go to an old arcade, an mm. old traditional arcade, and I say, quick, come over here, we'll play Pac-Man, because I can beat them at that. Yeah, that's right. As opposed to every other game that we play. But Pac-Man was actually first tested with the public on the 22nd of May, 1980. So this is, it was actually released on the 22nd of May, not a 2023 to commemorate that anniversary. Mm. But again, it's one of those things that you have the enjoyment of building a big set, so it's not too easy. It's hard enough that you've got to go through and build it. And then, sometimes with Lego, it used to be you build it, and then when you play with it a little bit, you roll it around on the ground, and yeah. what do we do now? Yeah. So this one, then the end is not the end. You then get to start to play it and get ready to just keep playing Pac-Man, which sounds like a good thing anyway. So well done to Lego for continuing on that. It's not actually too expensive. I was quite impressed. I thought US $270 for a Pac-Man arcade set wasn't too bad to start with, but when it's Lego Pac-Man arcade set, I thought that sounds like a a reasonable price for what it is. And cool fun. And cool fun, that's right. I had to have a very frank conversation with my sons about a decade ago when I realized my seven-year-old had racked up about $150 of expenses on one of his build-a-farm type online games. Now, I'm not Robinson Crusoe here. I've got to be in good company. It's an easy mistake for anyone to make, particularly the unwary. A seemingly innocuous game, details lodged when the app was first downloaded months ago, A neat little distraction for a youngster waiting at the doctor's surgery, waiting room, or what have you. My story is hardly newsworthy, to say the least. But spare a thought for Georgina Monday in the UK, who got a little surprise thanks to the Roblox app, and a daughter who was old enough to know better, Matt. Is 10-year-old old enough to know better? I'm not sure. I think so. You think so? That's the age of responsibility when you're playing with your apps. Okay, fair enough. And spending money. (laughs) The law, according to James, says 10-year-old is it. Well, she triggered. Uh, she did enough to trigger about two and a half thousand pounds. Pounds. Yeah. So you're one hundred and fifty dollars. <laughs> nothing. Yeah. Well, Irrelevant. what's the, what's the conversion rate? Is it about one to three right now? Oh, uh, somewhere two yeah. to one at least. So five thousand dollars at least. You'd think it would be that in, in Aussie dollars. So probably a bit more than that. So that's a reasonable sum of money. But that's a dog off the chain there. Um, <laughs> a loaded dog. <laughs> that is exactly right. So the problem is that of course things pop up in games, and things pop up and say, "Would you like another skin? Would mm. you like another life?" All sorts of things that sound like they've all got that little dingled sound that goes with them and the the glitzy fireworks and all that sort of stuff. And it's very attractive. It it does. So sure, another life for that or another skin or another weapon, whatever it might be. 
absolutely. Thanks very much. I'll have that. Who reads the fine print anymore? No. Sure, in the fine print somewhere it says you're going to be charged a microtransaction, maybe five pounds, maybe ten pounds for this. But you've got to do it a fair bit to rack up two and a half thousand pounds. But kids play games they a lot. Do. So that's exactly what happened in this case. Now, years ago, I think the banks and whatever Apple, whatever App Store it was, whether it was Google Play Store or the Apple App Store, they were pretty understanding because they knew that some of these game manufacturers were deliberately being a bit sneaky about yeah, it. Yeah, it was big news a couple of years back. It was. So you normally got your money back pretty quickly. But now we've moved on. They put new rules in place. And they've really enforced that where the games manufacturers have to say, this is going to cost you money. Don't click on this unless you really are sure you want to pay money. But a 10-year-old goes, yeah, whatever. Not my money. Not yeah, my credit not my card. <laughs> I just press the button and it seems to go through all right. And look, it's a new skin. Why wouldn't I say yes to that? So that happened. And of course, the mother here, as you said, Georgina Monday, she went along to her bank and went to the app store and both of them said, sorry, the rules were there. You should be a better parent. You're not actually keeping an eye on your child, so mm. bad luck. Two and a half thousand pounds wow. down the drain. Now, she did manage to get onto a consumer program on BBC. And amazingly, after that was aired, her bank did a review of her problem and said, actually, we might give you back your money now. We've re reviewed this and had a good look oh, at really? it. Oh, really? We think that you were hardly done by there or harshly done by, so we'll refund your money. And I'm not sure... But we need your go. daughter to come and do some time in the workhouse, the, the <laughs> Victorian right. workhouse. <laughs> We've got dishes to wash <laughs> for the next year for her. But it is a good warning. Let's learn from this, I suppose, for yeah. everyone else out there. It's a good warning. But I've seen adults do the same thing. This one here, sure, it was a 10-year-old, and I'm not probably as harsh as you. I can see that a 10-year-old could be fooled. But adults sometimes mm. will do this, and they'll go and click on things. And I've seen adults sort of – Show me what's popped up on their screen, and unless they read the whole thing, because you don't, you just click OK to that. That's right, there's so much fine print these days. Yeah, so people tend to just go OK, and that's it, and they move on. So it can happen to adults as well. So just be aware of that. And when things pop up and they sound like they're wonderful for you, then maybe have a look at that. In fact, Yahtzee, I enjoy the Yahtzee game, like the board game, if you call it a board game or a board there. But, loot, yeah. But there was an app. Actually, I, I, I broke my back. I broke my back in three spots racing mountain bikes and doing silly things like falling under my back at speed. And so when the kids came and visited me, they said, here you go, Dad, we found a great game for you. It was a Yahtzee app. And it was. It was, kept me a bit amused while I was laying, laying there and I couldn't do much. But one of the things that I got a bit disappointed with was after you played a certain amount of time or a certain length of time, I then wanted to start charging you. But it yeah. charged you for things that looked like a really good idea. Oh, you're so close to Yahtzee. You've got four of the same. So... We'll oh. give you an extra an extra roll of the dice. But again, you had to read it closely to yep. go, that'll cost you a certain amount of money. Yeah. So, And it almost corrupts the game. You don't want an extra roll of the dice. The whole idea of Yahtzee is cheating. Right. <laughs> exactly what I said. Because the kid said, oh, you should do that, Dad. You know, No, that's kind of cheating. Plus, I don't want to pay for it. That's just crazy. It's just a game. And I'm 100% with you. I used to play a bit of Yahtzee when I was a young fella. Yep. And, you know, no one else would want to play with me. So I'd just sit there, just rolling the dice all by myself. <laughs> and, uh, no, you, you had every opportunity to, to take an extra roll. Yep. She's no one was watching you. No, no, there's no honour in that. <laughs> there's um, there's another conversation we should have about you playing Yahtzee by yourself. We'll, we'll, <laughs> I know. We'll, we'll leave that for another. <laughs> must have annoyed everyone, just the sound of these dice rolls and the shaking in the cup and all that sort of stuff. But no one complained. I guess I wasn't annoying in the other ways. in a room five rooms away. So. <laughs> <laughs> so be warned, people, there are still those games out there that still want to take your money without you necessarily realising mm. it. 
will help to save you some refrigerator heartache. Next time you're at the fridge, maybe think about throwing that stuff in the takeaway container that was, has been there for two months. And what about that bag of bacon that you're not sure about? And the veggie crisper at the bottom? Just how long is a zucchini supposed to last unattended? Use by and best before dates are a guide and have always been a fallback for us. But really, folks, your food can't read a calendar. It's all a bit of a guess. So now a biodegradable food wrap has been produced that changes colour as the food spoils. Matt, the days of guesswork for tonight's dinner are behind us. And this is absolutely vital to my marriage. Yeah, right. (laughs) We've all got fridges like this. (laughs) We have things in our fridge that have got use-by dates. That's fine. And I see the use-by date as a guide and... Probably a few days after. That's right. They probably, can't read a calendar. That's right. But Yogurt also, doesn't read a calendar. More to the point, I say to my darling wife, that surely the people who put that stamp on there of that date have got a little bit of wiggle room built in yeah. because they don't want someone getting sick and then suing them because they used it on the day. So I reckon I've got a couple of days, Grace. They're going to have that's some it. wiggle room built in there. That's right. They don't want to get sued. And so the, the use-by is actually a couple of dates earlier. Surely. Surely. Yeah. That's my logic. Maybe now, a my, week. Who knows? It could be. That might be pushing that's it. It's a very grey line. <laughs> and best before just means it's best before. It's not off now, but it would have been better if you had it before that That's day. right. Now it's okay still. Yeah, it's still But it would okay. have been better last week. My wife takes the extreme opposite view where she says, well, if it says that date on it, that's absolutely the last date. And if they got it absolutely <laughs> right, we'd better fudge a couple of days beforehand. So there's probably a week in between when I'm happy to use those foods <laughs> and when my wife's happy to use yeah, those foods. Yeah. So we need something more So accurate. you've got your side of the fridge and your wife's side of the fridge. <laughs> I think it's and everything that, that she's finished with, she just nudges across to yours. Well, there's a perfect logic in that, isn't it? You go from your side yeah. and then it just <laughs> moves on down the fridge to my side before it finally moves into the garbage bin if you haven't eaten it by then. But we could probably save a lot of people around the world that still don't have enough to eat if we didn't throw that food mm. out, if we knew a bit more accurately. And that's exactly the case here. They've created this material that's made of some silk proteins and some covalent organic frameworks, which I'm not that familiar with. You may be more familiar with those. Well, covalent's just a type of bonding, but anyway, yeah, yeah. So they're, they're made up, in, in essence, you've got a, a porous material that's got carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, nitrogen arranged in, in a certain way, so that exactly as you said in the intro, the packaging itself will change colour as it detects certain things being emitted from the food. Now, obviously, you've got to design the packaging to suit the different types of food. So meat would put out certain things when it's getting to a certain level of decay as opposed to a fruit or maybe sense. a vegetable. So yeah. you would design it for each individual one. But once you wrap it in that, then you can put it in your fridge, open up, use it, wrap it again, and it will stay transparent until it starts to detect some of these various compounds being put out by the food. And then it detects those and changes colour. So then my wife and I can say, mm, it's gone that colour. We really should just have one more, yeah. one or two more days now. <laughs> well, it's a big one for the supermarkets because the supermarkets must throw out an awful lot of stuff, mm, right? And point. so I know in some countries, uh, I know in France that they had a program um, in some cities in France where they were feeding the homeless with stuff that was no longer really sellable but um, still okay. And this would be able to be a better indication. Yeah. Now, what you were talking about before with those molecules as well, I reckon it's probably going to be very similar stuff between meat and whatever else you've got because the bacteria, and there are small amounts of bacteria in any sort of fresh food, um, that, that's the thing that causes the rot. Uh, bacteria or other decomposers, maybe a fungus or whatever. And so it, they're just going to be giving off a certain gas, maybe a little bit of methane maybe, or something like that. Um, and and the, the, 
the packaging would be detecting that sort of stuff. I'm That'd be even better. And I imagine that it was different. And only because when I was reading some of the research, they talked about some of the, the tests they were doing with chicken and how the colour changed at certain temperatures with chicken. And then they went in to say they did some tests involving soybeans, for example. Now, mm. it may well be that they were testing a range of things, testing for the same product. And I was actually making an assumption there that the different products would give off something slightly different. But I think your logic is better that it's probably the same problem. You're, you're trying to not have bacteria in there. Yeah. So if there's a certain level of Well, no, of the bacteria is there. You can't get rid of all bacteria in fresh food. Um, and so um, that's why we keep it cool. It just keeps the activity of that bacteria very, very slow. Um, but after a while, you just lose the fight. Yeah. So when there's so much bacteria there, it then starts putting it, as you say, yeah. certain chemicals, which then can be picked Large up. So amount, it may yeah. well be that it's the same packaging for every type of food that might be in there. And I don't know whether it's different, whether the amount of activity from the bacteria in chicken has a different effect, the amount of bacteria mm. in soybeans, for example. But we're not doing the research here. Someone no, else that's is. right. Someone else has and, done it for and they'll us. they'll come out with some plastics. That we'll see our food wrapped in the supermarket one day and we'll go, there we go. When that changes to yellow, getting close, goes to orange, yep, throw it out now, yeah. which I think is absolutely brilliant yeah. in terms of a way to basically increase the amount of food that we've got available to us across the world. Yeah, we might find out just how wrong those used by dates were. <laughs> that might be good. I can see divorces coming up all <laughs> over the place. Fingerprint scanning has sped things up for me considerably. On my phone, everything from opening the, to the home screen to verifying my credit card, it's all one simple scan away. And I'm pretty good at it now, I've got to say. I can hit the spot probably 45 times out of 50 in the first go. But for Samsung, that's not good enough. They've, uh, so they're going to make their entire screen a fingerprint scanner. Matt, you literally cannot miss this one. You can't miss this one. And I'm actually really impressed with Samsung because when you were going from phones that had a bezel and you had a fingerprint button on them, for example, yeah. and they moved all on the side. So Samsung at one stage had the fingerprint reader on the side and Apple had it on the bottom. And they wanted they to, to move. put it on the camera as well. I had to put my finger on the camera. Yeah, yep. yeah. So they had a, a range of different options. And then when they wanted to move to the point where they were filling up the entire phone frame with the screen there was a bit of a challenge in terms of how do you do the fingerprint reading. Now, Apple gave up. Apple said, we think face ID is a better way to read fingerprints because they couldn't get it right under the screen. Samsung got it right. And as you said, on a certain spot on the screen, the fingerprint reading worked. And that's been fine. As you say, you get it most of the time. That's okay. But wouldn't it be better if the entire screen, anywhere on the screen, could be used? And that's exactly what they've developed now. So... Apple, and I don't often say this, but Apple in the innovation went, not nah, too hard, we'll just give up and do something else. And Samsung not only beat them to that, but they also then have now progressed further than that. And so then Apple will be sitting there going, oh, maybe we should have continued on with that fingerprint mm. scanning because it looks like Samsung's got it. But then Samsung have said, well, is that the only reason we're doing all this work and developing this just so someone like James doesn't get 45 out of 50, he gets it 50 out of 50 because he just puts his thumb anywhere on the screen. Mm. Seems like a lot of R&D to do to just get to the point where you can get the spot every time. So they've actually got to the point where you can do your heart rate with it. Well, that's fine. You can do your heart rate with your watch, but you can do your blood pressure with it as well. Now, there are electronic blood pressure readers out there, but they typically involve the cuff that goes on your arm, just like in a doctor's surgery, and they might be connected by Bluetooth because everything's better with Bluetooth, (laughs) sends a message to your phone, and then you can see your blood pressure. But it's still this big clumsy cuff you've got to put around your arm. So this now, they've gotten to the point where by putting 
two fingers on the screen, because anywhere on the screen can read it, it will actually allow you to measure blood pressure with two fingers on the screen. Heart rate as well, you can do that with one finger on the screen. So then you start to think, well, that's all well and good. Do I need that on my phone? Probably not, but how else could this be developed? You just start to think about other technology products that will be developed where someone in their home has a health pad that they come along and they check their health each morning. For example, you might not going to the doctor and it's all a bit of a hassle. And going to the doctor sometimes, doctors tell me that sometimes when they check blood pressure or heart rate of people, it's through the roof because just sitting in the doctor surgery makes them yeah, a bit nervous or a bit tension. tense. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So sitting there in your home, the doctor says, here's a pad for you to sit in your home. When you get up in the morning, just put a couple of fingers on there. I'll know your blood pressure. I'll know your heart rate. I'll just have a bit of an indication of how things are progressing. Wow, what a fantastic idea. So it might be used with your phone, might be used with other things, but we keep talking about all these health products. We're slowly getting there, I think, with all these different products. It's just, it'll be amazing in 10 years' time to see what we've got in our home to check our health. And then where are the brains going that are innovating? What are they going to think of after that? Once Mm. we've got all these medical scanners down pat, (laughs) where do we go after that? Well, I I don't think we're going to run out of things to innovate with yet, but... Who knows? We, we might... Well, we might for every answer we get, we get more questions. That's well, the idea of science, isn't it? Exactly right. I am a two-screen kind of guy these days. Whenever I'm working on my laptop and I'm stuck with a single screen, I find myself getting jittery and easily annoyed as, uh, as I labour through flicking between open windows, searching the toolbar... I even misclicking, you know, wasting seconds on whatever you click on and it's wrong. You've got to have heaps of screens open, guys. So many of us need a bunch of stuff open simultaneously, and that's where multiple screens, screens come into the fore. Well, the people at Sightful have taken inspiration from Tony Stark and developed an AR laptop. So you too can be like Iron Man and never suffer single screen anxiety ever again, Matt. The biggest problem I have is when I travel. At home, I've got a nice big screen and mm. a second screen and I exactly say have various apps that I prefer on different screens and keep one off to the side for certain things I want to keep an eye on and work with the main screen. Fantastic. And then I go to a hotel room and I've got my notebook yes. and that's it. And I've played around one with... One tiny screen. One tiny screen. I've played around with taking secondary screens with me, second portable screens and they're okay but it's a bit clumsy to carry them all yeah. the time and then you've got the battery life of that to worry about and going... I, I have a major problem when I go through... Airport security anyway, because I've got that many different technology devices <laughs> in my bag. They always want to pull it out. What's this one for, sir? And can you turn that one on there? When I add another screen to that, it just takes me longer to get through airport security. Yeah. So I've kind of given up on that and just live with one screen when I travel. But this concept sounds more like what I'm after. When they first launched AR, I remember some of the demos with AR, and they involve games. That Typically, you put some AR into a game, and look, in the real world, you can chase around after this, and there's some AR throwing in some different characters. And you go, well, that's great when you're 15 and your whole world is games, but at my age, just over 15, you're getting to that point where maybe games is not the number one focus of your life, and it sounds mm. a bit sad, doesn't it? <laughs> but, but, but having AR and using it in some useful way, like multiple monitors, now we're talking. Yeah. The only problem I have, so sorry, I'll go back and explain it a bit more. So this laptop basically gives you a virtual 100-inch screen with the glasses you put on. So you've got the, the virtual screen there. You've got this huge screen. So it's not necessarily multiple monitors, but with a screen of 100 inches, mm. then you can divide it up. So you can run some different apps on different parts of that 100-inch screen which effectively is the same as running multiple monitors. So you can see those various apps that you're running. So that sounds fantastic. 
The only problem I have with it is that it's only as part of the notebook itself. Now, I want my notebook. I've got a nice, powerful notebook. I've got all the specs of that I want. I want lots of RAM on that notebook and all sorts of different bits and pieces in there. I want that notebook, but I just want a screen like this. This particular notebook is a you know, reasonable notebook there, but like 8 gigs of memory, 256 gigs of storage. It's just not enough for the stuff that I want to be able to do with it. But I look at the monitor and I go, oh, maybe I should just take this with me when I travel. That sounds pretty cool to have an AR monitor as part of it. Yeah. So I want them, or whoever, I don't care who it is, to be honest, <laughs> someone to come up with a, a device that gives me the same advantage of the huge screen in an AR world but allowing me to use my monitor as part of that. So that's all I want. Someone out there, please. Yeah, they've heard you and they're now working on it. Good, excellent. The good people at Apple's marketing division have been hard at work and their most recent campaign is to play it straight and come clean. Their app store has released a transparency report and now anyone can take a peek at what sorts of business they've been doing and with whom? Matt? Surely that's not the marketing department. The marketing department have a unwritten law, don't they? If don't it's, tell. <laughs> if it's the truth and it's not convenient, then ignore that. Let so it go. I'm being a bit harsh on all marketers out there. I'm sure some of them out there tell the truth. But this is the App Store Transparency Report, which basically gives information about Apple's App Store. And the idea here is to be transparent, to show exactly what's happening with a whole range of different parts. And I thought there was some interesting data to come out of this. And if you looked at the Google Play Store, I'm sure the data would be very similar. But there's a few things that fascinate me out of this. The first thing is just the number of apps on the App Store. 1.783 million apps on the App Store. Now, when people say, any new apps to look at, holy truth, ah, there's some new apps to look at. It's it's a huge job just to go and look at the latest apps and look at the ones that might suit you. That's a lot of apps out there. App submissions received in the last year, though, 6.1 million. Oh, really? Wow. Only 1.78 of those are up there. 6.1 million app submissions reviewed. Now, wow. 1.679 okay. of those were rejected. Presumably the other ones are still being reviewed as we speak, and some of those might be updates to existing apps. But that's a lot of work for that's, someone. That's a building worth of people <laughs> just, just checking out these apps that's right. that have been submitted. So, And again, you can see why sometimes apps get through that aren't great apps or they do things mm. that aren't very nice because that's a lot of people. And what do they check on them? What's their checklist yeah. to go through? That's, yeah, you're right. There's a lot of man hours involved in that. Now... Sometimes there are governments around the world who say, Mr. Apple, we've seen this app. We request you, this government requests you to take that app down. And Apple have said, okay, we'll do that. If a government requests that, we'll do it. And last year, they took down 1,474 apps. Now, of course, the conspiracy theorists are going to say, that's China doing censorship. Well, yes. 1,435 of those 1,474 were from China. When you go down, the rest of them, number two, was India with 14. Oh, so yes, That's a bit of a drop there. A bit of a drop, yeah. Pakistan, Russia, you go through a number of ones. I mean, Bulgaria, Cyprus, Hong Kong. I mean, a lot of those just had one app that might have been mm. requested to be taken down. Total number of registered Apple developers, 36.9 million. Now, the thing that worries me about that, I'm not sure if that's individuals or what I would call an organisation, for example, if there's 36.9 million developers and they only submitted 6.1 apps, what are the rest of them doing? 
<laughs> so maybe, and I, I couldn't find out whether that number was each individual because one firm might have a thousand developers working yeah, for yeah. them. So I don't know whether that was those individual developers or the organisations there. The value of fraudulent transactions that they prevented over two billion, two point zero nine billion dollars. They prevent it. Now, presumably, there's some that got through. We don't have that number because we don't yeah. know they got through because they got through. <laughs> but that's how many were prevented. So yeah, that's incredible. Wow. And then I start to think about the infrastructure in place when I see these next couple of numbers. Average weekly visitors to the App Store, 656 million. Average weekly app downloads, 747 million app downloads. So every week. Every week. So just think about Every the week. server infrastructure you've got, the pipes you've got connecting that server infrastructure to the rest of the world for this to happen. Average weekly automatic up app updates. So just updates that you don't think about it too much. Oh, there's a new update that came through for that app. 40.8 billion. Forget the million now. Oh, billion. Wow. So the amount of traffic, the app store, I'd love to see the data. I haven't got any data on the actual volume of traffic. I've got the numbers there, but a lot of these apps are fairly small. Mm. The actual volume, it wouldn't surprise me if Apple Store made up 10% of all internet traffic around the world. It just sounds incredible, doesn't it? So good on Apple for the transparency report. I think they hate to do it in some of the processes they're involved in, but it does make for some very interesting reading when you look through that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And with that, we take our bows and we bring the curtain down to rousing applause. Uh, another great episode done. Thanks, uh, Matt. Fantastic tech talk. Thank you. Now I'm going to watch a bit of Formula One and I'm just going to watch those eyes and see if I can see yeah, them blink. See them blinking. <laughs> uh, blinky Bill. No. Um, and uh, I think I'm going to head off and play with some Lego. That see if I can't build, build myself an arcade console. Sounds good. It's been a pleasure presenting Tech Talk to you once again, folks. My name is James Eddy, uh, and I've been your host. And we look forward to bringing you Tech Talk next week. We hope you can tune in, bring some friends. Hope you've liked and subscribed already. Uh, and, of course, have a great week. Until next time. 